Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you all, though uh, virtually this morning. <laughs> if you're listening to this recording here in Culpeper on Sunday morning, um, the Weather Channel app right now as I'm recording this is telling me that there will be a 100% chance of snow falling all around you right now. And so I hope uh, as the temperature is freezing outside uh, that you are home safe, um, you and your family, whoever is with you, um, and that you are just able to enjoy uh, this morning's sermon from the comfort of your own home. Uh, perhaps you have a nice cup of coffee with you, and as you tune into this morning's message, I, I pray that you were able to um, still glean from this what you can and uh, be encouraged by God's word as we go through Ruth 4 this morning. Now, for months, the, the session I had been planning to observe this very Sunday, January the 31st, as the day in which we would finally be able to gather together for worship and celebration of all that God has been doing uh, and bringing our church together in this new season. Uh, this is a season that I've long desired and anticipated to finally serve as your planting pastor. And it's so exciting that about a week ago, Presbytery officially called me as your planting pastor. And, and what a humbling time that was. And it's something I've looked forward to for so very long. Uh, and even though I've already technically begun the work of serving as your pastor over this past week, ever since that meeting, um, the Lord obviously had has had other plans in terms for uh, how we would gather or not gather right now in person this very first Sunday. Um, but it's in times like these that we still see his providence, how he cares for us, how he orchestrates events and situations, especially those that are completely outside of our own control, to still be in accordance with his goodwill. And while we do understand his mysterious providence and as reasonable creatures, we often ponder the meaning of such events when plans that we had planned for months or weeks in advance just seem to be put aside. Uh, our proper response in times like these is simply to trust him. And so I think this idea of providence, this idea of trusting God, raises an important question for us, even in light of today's passage that we'll be looking at, namely Ruth chapter 4 as we close our series on Ruth. See, the question is for us this very morning, how do we go on entrusting ourselves to God when the circumstances seem to elude us? Furthermore, how do we find peace within the inner workings of our own minds when we cannot comprehend the totality of what God is doing in our midst? Well, my friends, I would ask us to consider the following in this very hour, this statement so would you consider this with me? Trusting God ultimately involves not a full understanding of events and times and places, but trusting God involves a steadfast reliance upon God's person. See, the last few weeks we've been learning from the very word of God in the book of Ruth about God's plan of redemption, namely his redemption of two widows in particular both Naomi and Ruth. Throughout the course of the historic narrative of the book of Ruth, there is this common thread of hope, a hope in God alone to restore the brokenness of his people. His covenantal faithfulness in the midst of lack 
is on display in almost every line of this very book. And it's been our theme during this sermon series on Ruth. And so in every chapter of Ruth, even, we find this wonderful display of two kinds of God's dealings with his people. First, in his kindness toward them, but also in his covenant toward them. His kindness and his covenant. And so as we approach this morning's text, I ask that you would turn with me, even as we're doing uh, this message virtually together this morning at a distance, Will you turn with me, though, to Ruth chapter 4, verse 1? For it's here in this final chapter, the grand conclusion to a book that is just centered around the idea of redemption, that we will see God's great kindness and his great covenant in the fullness of his revelation to us. Holy Scripture, which finds its end and its meaning in Christ our Redeemer. And so as you're turning to Ruth chapter 4, verse 1, I would encourage us all to hear the word of God, which is his special revelation of himself to us, his truth that remains forever and will always be forever true. So hear the words of Ruth 4, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 22. Ruth chapter 4. The word of God says this. <clears throat> now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. So take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. 
May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. <clears throat> now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Well, church, with this passage from Scripture in mind, let's come before our Lord God in prayer, asking him to bless this time. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that even though we are meeting virtually this very day, we are thankful that uh, you still have called us to worship you, even in the comforts of our very own homes or wherever it is that we might be tuning in to hear this message from your word. God, even though this is a very atypical uh, Sunday for us as we are not meeting together in person, we ask, oh God, that you would still bless this time as we hear your word delivered. God, as always, I ask that as the one who is delivering your word, who has spent time in this chapter mulling over the book of Ruth and just once again being captivated by your word, I ask, Father, that you would Use this time to strengthen each and every single one of us, even at a distance. God, would you use this time to uh, encourage us, no matter where we might be, to remind us of your faithfulness to us in whatever season of life we might be facing. Father, we're thankful that as we are now entering into this new season as a church at Christ's covenant, that you have brought us to this season by your own righteous right hand. And God, we are so thankful that um, as we move forward in faith, as we move forward recognizing your goodness and your grace toward us, um, that you are with us. And so we ask, Father, that you would use this, this message to strengthen us. May Christ, as always, be proclaimed first and foremost and as we read of your word and examine this, this passage by your Holy Spirit, Father, I ask that you would impress these truths upon our hearts, for they are indeed timeless, and your word never returns to you void. 
So Lord, we ask that it would accomplish that which it is set out to do by your own power and might. And we ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, church, before we dive into the text of Ruth and really uh, look more carefully at the chapter that we just read, I believe it's important for us to take a step back, a huge step back at that, actually, and look again at these two concepts that I mentioned before, uh, these concepts of kindness and covenant in light of the book as a whole. Because as Ruth 4 concludes this very profound narrative of redemption that we see and that we just read, we can still easily miss the resolution to the entire plot if we fail to understand the book in light of these two concepts of kindness and covenant. So let's go ahead and do just that for the next few moments and take a step back and look again at the grand picture of the book of Ruth. As we think back to the very beginning of the book of Ruth, I'd like to remind us of the circumstances that were faced by the people of Israel in that day, specifically in the town of Bethlehem. See, the book itself is traditionally believed to have been written by the prophet Samuel, the same Samuel who was used by God to both appoint and to anoint in advance David, the son of Jesse, as king over Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, being written during the lifetime of King David, then, the book of Ruth, along with Judges and First and Second Samuel, collectively, are all rightfully understood to be in tandem with each other. In other words, there are these common elements between these books that all point the reader to observe what we are to believe concerning God, and therefore what duty God requires of us. And so Ruth itself, this book, is written in such a way that we might see and know God's kindness that is characteristic of him, but even more so that we, that we might see his covenant, his promise of life to us on the very basis of his grace, his grace that saves. And so before going any further, again, in light of these two ideas of kindness and covenant, it's important for us to understand the difference between God's grace, or more appropriately called, his goodness that is common to all people, what theologians might call common grace, and his grace that is salvific, his grace that is covenantally bound to his people through Christ. See, the former idea, that of common grace, has more to do with God's kindness to all people that he shows in various ways throughout human history. And yet grace, kind of that capital G grace, so to speak, through Christ in particular, is covenantal. Now, historically speaking, the book of Ruth takes place during a time of very intense, though temporary, famine. It was a time when the land of Judah, southern Israel, and especially the town of Bethlehem by name, experienced a lack of food for at least a few years. Now, ironically enough, the name Bethlehem itself is actually a Hebrew compound word that, and I'm sure many of you already know this, it means house of bread, house of bread. And yet the land there in this very town that was named house of bread was during this season in Israel's history, 
neither capable of supporting households nor providing bread for their very tables. It was no house and it was no place of bread. And so we read in Ruth chapter 1 that because of these events, a certain man named Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, he and his wife Naomi vacated Bethlehem and they sought refuge in the land of Moab. They ended up leaving Bethlehem behind in the hopes that they would actually find a better place to call home and so live off of the land in that new region to sustain their livelihoods, to quite literally put bread on their own tables and survive. Now, this perhaps sounded like a reasonable plan to both Elimelech and Naomi at the outset, but soon after they left Bethlehem, the most severe thing happened to their family. Elimelech himself died. And so Naomi was left as a widow with her two sons, Malon and Kilion. Now, over the course of the 10 years that followed as they continued to live in Moab, Naomi's two sons married two foreign women, Orpah and Ruth, thus perpetuating the name of their father, Elimelech, at least hopefully so, as long as they had children. Now, under the law of God, though foreigners could indeed join to the house of Israel, they were still required to embrace the Lord God as their God. But did Orpah and Ruth embrace the Lord God, the God of Israel, as their God? I mean, after all, the family of Naomi were all in a foreign land. Moab, in a time when Israel itself was only very loosely, if at best, following the law of God during the time of the judges. And furthermore, even if they had wanted to worship God at a distance, this family, Naomi's family, were not able to do so rightly in accordance with the law of God, because they were separated from Israel, away from the place of worship, away from the household of faith off in a distant land. Well, before the narrative of Ruth chapter one can even provide us the answer to that question of, you know, whether or not they actually worshiped God as their God, we learn swiftly in Ruth chapter one, verse five, that all of a sudden both of Naomi's sons died, both Malon and Kilion. And so though these two young women had been shown kindness by Naomi's family, generically speaking, Orpah and Ruth were now suddenly left without any obligation, humanly speaking, to their mother-in-law. Where would this leave Naomi? Naomi, who was herself an Israelite, who was in a visible covenant with God upon the basis of her being an offspring of Abraham, and was confirmed as such by her faith in the Lord God. And yet, Naomi found herself truly stuck between a rock and a hard place. See, her husband, Elimelech, was dead, to put it bluntly. Her sons were dead. She was herself in a foreign land, figuratively dead to her own people. And she had no hope of inheritance through her own offspring, her own two sons who were now dead. Naomi had been dealt a bitter hand if there ever was one. 
And for though she had known God, her God, to be king and sovereign and kind, his kingly providence over her did not appear to be very kind in this moment. Or so it seemed. See, beyond the visible common grace of God's kindness, Naomi's mind was still drawn to the covenant of God. She had known and she had recalled the promises of God that were given to the people of Israel. And his kindness drew her back to himself in love, drawing her back out of her state of weariness and bitterness to return to the land of Bethlehem and Judah, the house of bread. And yet she knew that even as she would go back to her hometown of Bethlehem, that she would return empty-handed, famished, destitute, and to be quite frank, utterly ashamed. Ashamed of all that had happened to her over the last 10 years since she had left her people. I mean, perhaps God would show her pitiful kindness, but in her own mind, he didn't seem to owe it to her. Well, it was in this very moment that mercy was on display in the book of Ruth. For though her daughter-in-law, Orpah, had attested to the kindness of God, Ruth not only attested to that kindness that was shown her, but Ruth decided to commit herself to the covenant of God. And as such, also to Naomi, taking upon herself all of the obligations of the covenant, saying that Naomi's God would be her God, that she would follow Naomi wherever she would go, that even where Naomi would be buried, Ruth herself would be buried. And so Naomi didn't return back to Bethlehem empty-handed. She came back with Ruth clinging to her side all the more. Now, even while Naomi was in a place of death herself, Ruth chose to identify with her in a state of humble reliance upon the sheer mercy of God. What love for Ruth and for Naomi were both on display, both to people in desolate places by God's own hand. And so Naomi and Ruth returned to the land of Israel. And in the words of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 22, the time of harvesting barley was at hand. See, here in that very verse, as we transition from one part of the story to the next, a glimmer of hope finally begins to shine here in the story. By faith, Ruth then, in chapter 2, went out to glean freely from the edges of the fields and to actually scrape up what she could from the barley in accordance with the Lord's command given in the Old Testament to those who were poor in the land as he cared for them sovereignly by instilling that in their own laws. And so by entrusting herself to God's covenantal faithfulness, Ruth found herself just happened to be there in Boaz's field. Boaz, an honorable man of much wealth and stature. Now, Ruth apparently caught Boaz's eye very quickly. <laughs> Inquiring about her from his co-workers, he learned of her history and how she had obliged herself to Naomi's honor and to God himself. And so Boaz took special care of her, 
showing her kindness and protection, lest she be taken advantage of by those who are less than honorable men. By the last verse of chapter 2, as it transitions from chapters 2 into 3, we then learned that Ruth continued working faithfully for weeks on end until both the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. For Boaz had permitted her to take as much as was to be portioned to her. And so continuing on in the story into Ruth chapter 3, again as a brief recap, Naomi sought rest for her daughter-in-law, rest from her labors by the means of finding a suitable husband to take up the mantle of not only companionship, but responsibility for her welfare. See, through their conversations between Ruth and Naomi, Naomi was very familiar with Boaz himself. I imagine that Ruth must have talked quite a bit about Boaz to Naomi and shared all kinds of stories about him. Uh, She was madly in love with him, at least from a distance. And so Naomi knew in learning more about him that he was a potential redeemer for their family. He was a man who was near of kin. And in that culture, he would have been qualified to marry her. And in so doing, to perpetuate the name of Naomi's husband, Elimelech, through Ruth. Perhaps God would restore honor to those who were shamed in such a way. For both Ruth and Naomi were still, as of yet, in this place of shame and longing for redemption and restoration. And so we learned last week, as Jeff was preaching last Sunday, that Ruth, in chapter 3, followed Naomi's instructions and strategically, very wisely, proposed to Boaz under the cover of the night while he was in a place of merriment after feasting and drinking wine and resting from his now-finished labors. He was in this happy state when Ruth came to him and she essentially asked him to make a marriage covenant with her and so redeem her, for he was able. And according to Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, he was not only able, but he even expressed that he was so willing to do so. But there was one problem. See, there was a potential redeemer who was first in line before Boaz. And so being the honorable man that he was, Boaz guaranteed to Ruth that he would be sure to follow through with the proceedings of this transaction of redemption as soon as the next business day was upon them, the very next day. In fact, he even told her that he would not let himself rest until he settled the matter that very day. By this point in our book, God's kindness through Boaz, the Redeemer, was on just this full display for both Naomi and Ruth to see. Their hopes were up, but all of this preparation, all of this waiting for this grand moment of redemption would find itself in need of happening here now in Ruth chapter 4 with an actual business matter, an actual transaction that Boaz was planning to make between himself and the Redeemer who is closer in line to Naomi's family. And so this brings us now to our own chapter, Ruth chapter 4 specifically. 
See, in verse 1 of chapter 4, we see that Boaz, having finished all of his labors and being a qualified and worthy redeemer himself, went up to the gate of the town where all the people would have conducted their business dealings with each other as they passed in and out of the gate while they would do their business there in that place. And so Boaz sat there and waited for the Redeemer and waited and waited some more until eventually there passed the other Redeemer by him. And so Boaz quickly caught his attention and began to make his own business transaction with the man. He called 10 of the elders from the city quickly as witnesses to observe and to attest to what was about to happen before their very eyes, before the witnesses all around them. So here again, his words from Ruth chapter four, Boaz said this, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it. Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. Church, if you yourself have ever been in this place of this kind of intense transaction or dealing, I'm sure you can imagine the pressure that was building up right here in the very moment. Even as bold as Boaz might have been, I can imagine that his heart might have been racing quickly in that moment. You know, he might have been thinking, would he actually be able to redeem Ruth? Would he be able to continue to show Ruth not only the kindness that he had already given to her over the course of the time of the harvests, the barley and the wheat harvests, however many weeks that might have been as they grew in their love and affection for one another, but would he actually be able to make a marriage covenant with her? Or would this other guy get in the way and end up keeping Ruth from him? Well, here came the answer, ready or not. (laughs) The other man answered, yeah, sure, I will redeem it. (laughs) Suddenly, the entire plot of our biblical narrative just seems to stop. It's almost as if Boaz's heart might have skipped a beat. How would he now answer this? I wonder if he might have been expecting it. Well, we know from scripture that Boaz was an honorable man of character. But we also know from Ruth that he was a man of worth. And this idea of worth doesn't just connote this idea of being honorable. But it actually has this connotation of him being a man of both reputation and status and wealth. Actual worth worthiness. See, he had this reputation that had been established within the town of Bethlehem that was not be- not merely based upon his good name or his character, but in his ability to lead others in wisdom and to also deal shrewdly with the necessary financial backings to support his business endeavors. And so look carefully, carefully with me, if you will, at Boaz's intentionally worded response in Ruth chapter 4, verse 5. See, Boaz's uh, words here speak very poignantly. 
He says this, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. I wonder if you catch the tone of his voice there. See, consider that statement again with me in greater detail. And I imagine you'll see uh, so many negative connotations here within that single, very well-structured response. Look again at verse five and see these words and look at these words very carefully. He uses words like these, acquire, Moabite, widow, dead, perpetuate, name of the dead, his inheritance. I mean, that right there, there are seven strikes right there against the reputation of this man, this potential redeemer, if he were to go through with buying a Limelech's parcel of land. See, if he were to do this, he would be incurring, covenantally speaking, upon himself all of these negative or seemingly negative things upon himself. And for what gain? A small parcel of land? Well, verse six says this. Then the redeemer said, uh, probably hesitantly, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I, I cannot redeem it. See, the tragic irony of this exchange here is that the man, the closest man at that, who could have redeemed Ruth and restored honor and dignity to Naomi's name and Elimelech's of that, his own family. He overlooked both of these women, his relatives, for the sake of his own reputation and dignity. This guy was so concerned about his own name that he withheld his kindness from his own deceased relative, Elimelech, and essentially said, regarding his family, I don't want to touch that. Boaz, you you can go ahead and take it. I mean, what would that do to my own name if I were to redeem that? (sighs) My friends, that begs a really endearing question of both of us. What was this man's name? See, the sheer irony is that this man, the name of this man in particular, will never be made known. See, the irony is that the Hebrew text literally just uses a placeholder word for this man's name. In the Hebrew, it's this strange word. It sounds a little Italian, but it says uh, something like Pomoni Almoni. (laughs) This uh, filler word just to say that this man is still unknown, even unknown to Samuel, who is likely writing this book of Ruth. This man's name, his reputation was lost only three generations after these events took place. For all of his concern for his own name and his own inheritance and all of these things that he was concerned about, well, they ended up turning into dust. So much for this man's reputation. And so with gladness, I can imagine much gladness at that, Boaz went ahead in light of this 
and purchased the land that had belonged to Elimelech that very day. He didn't even let himself rest. He was so excited to finally have Ruth for his own as his wife. More than the land, to redeem, to buy her, to have her. And so he vowed himself to Ruth publicly. Ruth, the Moabitess, Ruth, a foreigner, in order to redeem her. And out of true dignity and respect, Boaz, the better, the true redeemer, showed a great kindness to both Naomi and Elimelech, and even all who would ever come from Ruth's own line in time. And so we see in verses 11 and following that the people saw this marvelous act of mercy towards someone who was so ashamed and downtrodden, such as Ruth, and even Naomi, her mother-in-law, a foreigner who had become a valuable bride to Boaz. And they began to rejoice, these people around him. The people of Bethlehem prayed out loud that the Lord would make Ruth fruitful, that she would be considered one of the members, one of the household of Israel, and that she would be so fruitful that her house through Boaz would be one day renowned just like that of Rachel and Leah, from whom all of Israel descended. Ruth, a Moabitess, who would have otherwise been totally forsaken as a foreigner outside of the people of Israel, was brought into the household of faith and established and given honor above all else, even honored as Rachel and Leah, the mother figures of Israel. So we see here in scripture that Boaz lovingly took Ruth to be his wife and she bore to him a son. And in God's providence, it came to be in time. Naomi's honor was restored and Ruth's son, Obed, soon fathered Jesse, who then fathered David, who was, of course, in due time, we know, king over Israel. In fact, he was the most famous of all the kings of Israel, the most well-known and honored above all the rest. But church, though we have heard and read of God's kind providence here in the book of Ruth the past few weeks now, leading up to this final chapter, to the conclusion of this very story, as the book of Ruth comes to a close in these final last few verses, it's important for us to realize that the kindness of God is not the end-all be-all. See, truly, this passage, even Ruth 4, preaches to us the very word of Christ over us, the word of Christ being the gospel. See, Christ himself, we know from this very book, is our Redeemer. He is the Son of David, who came in the fullness of time for our redemption. For though we ourselves, the people whom he has redeemed, were like Naomi, as good as dead in our own sins, without any hope in this world, save for his sovereign mercy, Christ, in the very fullness of time, traded his riches for rags in order to redeem us, 
who were clothed in rags and bring us to his place of riches. Christ, the very king in all of his beauty, did not esteem the glories that were due his own name. Christ, the eternal son of God, clothed in all this splendor, rightfully so. And so he humbled himself for us, for you and me, brothers and sisters, to buy us, to purchase us for his own possession by his blood. Like Boaz, who himself had the financial means to redeem, I mean, literally buy Ruth out of this bondage to her shame, and so bring honor back to Naomi's household. We, who have also fallen short of the glory of God, were purchased by Christ, who alone could redeem his people by his own merit, not ours. We had nothing to bring, We ourselves were paupers, he himself the king. And like Boaz, who brought Ruth into his own house, his house of gladness, and covenanted with her and made her his wife, so ascribing all that was true of himself, Boaz, to her namesake, Christ, as the better redeemer, has made the church his bride for all of time, ascribing to the church his holiness and cleansing her from her iniquities and covering her from all of her guilt and shame that she has incurred. See, church, we have no other redeemer save for Christ, no other salvation but by his name, no other satisfaction for sin but by his blood, no other hope of resurrection from the dead but by his life and resurrection. And so we, as believers, ourselves, cast ourselves upon the kindness of God in Christ, and better still, upon the covenant of redemption, which the triune God has made in himself. Because before all time, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, purpose to redeem and to restore a particular people for his own matchless glory. And this matchless glory is still made manifest even now before us this very day. For he is holding us, his church, fast. He will not let us go, church. And so friends, know this very day that you are loved with an undying affection by no one less than our Savior, Jesus Christ. He loves you. And as we begin this new season of our church's life here at Christ's covenant, I could not be more excited to be on mission with you as your pastor. And though we are entering into this new season as a church plant that has much experience behind us, We must look all the more still into the eyes of our Savior by faith for daily sustenance. We must commune with him by his Spirit as we move forward together collectively in fervent prayer, asking him to perform a mighty work within us and within our community 
through the ministries that he has given to each and every single one of us to do as Christ our King would see fit. And so church, friends at Christ's covenant, my encouragement to us this morning is to live in light of this gospel truth from Ruth chapter four. Know that we have nothing, we've done nothing to deserve God's kindness and his covenantal faithfulness. And yet by Christ's undertaking, he has redeemed us and purposed us to be fruitful, fruitful as Ruth was. And so my prayer for us is that we, like Naomi, might be a people of prayer. That we, like Boaz, might be a people who are marked by wisdom in our labors, shrewd in our dealings here in a crooked and perverse generation. And may we, like Ruth, be humble and seek to make much of God's grace and God's church wherever it is that he appoints us to be in the very week that is coming ahead. And may we do this all for the glory of Christ, our King. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are strong and mighty, mighty to save and to deliver to the uttermost. God, we thank you that in your name is salvation, in your name is plentiful redemption, and that there is no salvation apart from your name. God, I ask that as we seek to be a church that continues to be on mission together, may we have eyes of faith that are open to see your handiwork, the mighty wonders that you have done within our nation, within our town, within our own souls. And may we be so stirred to proclaim the excellencies of you who called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. God, we ask that as we go forth this very week that you would be using us for your namesake. Let us become a people of prayer who are constant in prayer, unwavering in hope, steadfast in the midst of persecution or famine or danger or sword. Whatever may come, O Lord, prepare us. God, we ask that you would unify us as your body, the church, strengthen us, hold us fast. For we know that you are our redeemer. You are our strength and our song, and you have become our salvation. So we pray all this in your holy and majestic name. Amen. Well, church, I want to leave us with a brief benediction. And uh, this is a good word spoken over you in love. And so even at a distance, I would ask that you uh, receive this good word spoken over you from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And so church, may we go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in this way. Thanks be to God.
I look forward to seeing you soon. Take care.